Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. How do you get the best out of other people? I mean, our answers are by no means revolutionary. We just try to do the basics really, really well. We try and support people. We try and treat them as adults. We treat them as individuals. And we give people who manage here a lot of training because the hospitality industry is young, isn't it? The the, the workforce of the hospitality industry is young. And I think we owe it to young managers and the people they manage to give them the tools to look after people. Because you know, you could be 26, 27 years old and have 30 people working for you. What are the chances that you're equipped to do that at 26, 27? It's, it's low, isn't it? We think about that a lot and we try and put a lot into management, maybe more than we put into leadership. This is Will Beckett, co-founder and CEO of Hawksmore, which is the amazing steakhouse that the last 16 years has been serving the best steaks you can eat in the UK, according to Jay Rayner. And they're not only a great restaurant, they also make a positive impact on their people, the communities they're part of, and the planet. And since 2012, they are the only restaurant group to be named in the best companies to work for a list. That's a decade being on that list. That's amazing. They have also been active in helping people in need in many areas of society and have achieved a number of awards for their great work. They shortlisted as one of the most sustainable restaurant groups in the country by the Sustainable Restaurant Association and they have recently achieved to become a carbon neutral restaurant group. Will and I sat down to talk about all of this and more importantly, how do you build a great business like this and also manage all the struggles there is on a journey like that over the last 16 years and how they lately also have launched a very successful restaurant in New York. We discussed the current challenges of the industry and what Hawksmar is doing to manage these and build for a better future. Will also shares his learnings as a founder and CEO the last two years and his hacks on how to actually keep himself in balance in an ever challenging world of restaurants. Will shares his own learning as a founder and CEO the last two years and also his hacks on how to keep himself in balance in the ever-changing world of restaurants. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. We caught up with Will on a day when the London tube system was on strike, so he had to join us from one of his restaurants. And therefore, you will hear a bit of hustle and bustle in the background from the restaurants, but that just makes it more real. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
today we are having a guest where we're probably going to be talking about the right way of doing business. We're going to be talking about how you build a, a business and actually make sure that all stakeholders win. And we're also going to be uh, talking about how do you actually create a business that, you know, not only people think is a great business, but also one you are proud of yourself as a team and organization. With that said, I would like to welcome you, Will. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for a very nice introduction. Uh, well, uh, we, we had a couple of conversations before, but I'm really looking forward for today's conversation because we, of course, we're going to be talking about Hawksmoor and a journey there, but also like your, your recent opening in New York. And it's always interesting when people go outside the, their, their market. So from the UK to, to New York, New York is, is like a daunting place for many people when they open restaurants. It's like the mecca of restaurants for many, where you have the big Danny Meyer and so on. So we'll come back to that. But for people out there that have you know never been to Hawksmoor or, or know what Hawksmoor is about, can you tell a bit about your background and how Hawksmoor actually started out and, and where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll try and give you a potted version so I don't use up the whole of this, telling some telling a garbled life story. But um, I started Hawksmoor in 2006 with my best friend, Hugh. <clears throat> and we've known each other since we were 11 years old. Uh, and we'd, we'd done a couple of things in hospitality beforehand, which were different shades of failure we'd had a pub and a bar and we would had a mexican bar and restaurant and, um all of them had uh all of them had kind of they'd been they'd been good in some ways right they would always we'd always been quite thoughtful i think with uh with the food and the drink and, and the customer experience but in lots of ways they were i mean awful awful they weren't good businesses they, they lost money for the most part they they weren't good employers we opened Hawksmoor in 2006 and we we opened a small at the time small british steak restaurant i think it had 80 to a, to 100 seats uh everything on a real charcoal grill it was in shoreditch in east london and probably the first thing we got right was we 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 just thought very carefully about the meat we thought very carefully about sourcing and how we'd uh, how we'd find steak because i think we had a memory of of how good steak could be from our childhood but that had it's, it's sort of, most steaks we had didn't really live up to that experience i think it was kind of a time in 90s early 2000s when you went to a restaurant and had a steak and it was a bit underwhelming uh and so we just tried to do that and we and we also just tried to have a really kind of casual environment people were happy to work in so it was it was super relaxed there and that was 16 years ago. And I mean, the, 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 the business has been through many sort of phases, if you like, since then. But if you came to a Hawksmoor now, I mean, you'd, you'd see a much more kind of grown up company. I think we've got we've got 10 restaurants, um, most of them in London. We've got some in uh, Manchester, Edinburgh. And uh, as you said, uh, in one new one in New York. I think really they're quite special. They're quite special destination restaurants, and they're a really weird combination, I think, of really, really high standards with a really kind of casual vibe in the restaurant. 
and you see that when you look at the people that work there you know love just really really lovely hard-working people they're exceptional at their job but you look at them and they're just you know they're just people in jeans and a shirt and um that they, they are casual and and it somehow it comes together i think to make this kind of quite special experience that people seem to really really love and uh what was the like beside you know you wanted to get the meat right but what what was the purpose of hawksmore especially when you've done other businesses there's always like this little seed of purpose that the, the, the follows the founders in what they do yeah it's interesting i mean i i you know i, I know you're like this as well you're interested in business books business people like you know i read a lot of people's stories and <clears throat> i think you quite often hear a story don't you about I just started off with a vision and a purpose and Hawksmore interestingly now definitively is a business with a vision and a purpose but I think possibly arguably it wasn't in those days um we 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 always had a few small ideas that were really important to us you know it it mattered to us that we did things the right way we used to say that was our expression for it all the time we just want to do things the right way You know, if we can do a restaurant, let's just try and do it properly. Let's source the way we think restaurants should be should source. Let's, you know, if we're going to sort of have staff, let's just try to make sure that they they they're happy and we treat them properly. But it wasn't really a restaurant that was that was opened with a purpose. Excuse me, by the way, for the pots and pans clashing in the background. Uh, it wasn't really a a restaurant um opened with a purpose. I think probably at that stage, having had three failed businesses or running. We were still running three failing businesses. Really, just having one that worked was a good start. And I mean, you said before something about talking about you know trying to run a business that you can feel proud of, and that is you know it's absolutely at the heart of everything we've we've, we've done for many 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 years. But for that to work in the first place, you have to have a business. Um, and really, the ones that we that we didn't that didn't succeed didn't really meet that criteria you know they didn't they didn't make any money so i think probably at that initial stage just trying to open a good restaurant that worked uh was was pretty key for us and it's really interesting to say you you need that you know baseline foundation of a business that works to be able actually to live out the purpose actually you need to develop a product that people wants and people cares about and also a place people want to come and, and eat and work Because when you get that right, exactly that that's the starting point for what I hear you saying. You can start actually live out your purpose and do all the other thing than just running a business and get results. Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, you, but, you, but you've got to have that baseline. You've got to have a business that works, customers like that keep coming back to. Um, you've got to be able to run one first, which took us a very long time before we felt comfortable saying that. Um, and and you know. The, Of course, you can start with ambition in terms of purpose, but you can really develop that and make things happen from that from that kind of foundation. One of the interesting thing now you are on, you know, you're on an incredible journey. You, you, as you said, it's 16 years, and I could almost see on you like, wow, it's 16 years since we we put those seeds down and started. But now you're also doing more than just running a business. You are you're involved in all these, you know, giving more than than you take in a way. You are giving money to people in hunger you're involved in making the industry better was that always that uh, you know maybe you didn't knew the cause at that point but it was, was it always between you and Hugh 
an ideal world where you could do that and run a business at the same time? Yeah, I think it's in both of our kind of uh, makeups that we want to try to do things that are good. And, I, you know, I, I, maybe from sometimes from a kind of slightly selfish point of view, you know, help us kind of feel that we're, we're doing something good in the world. And we, we've always tried to do it. And we've always tried to do it in a way that's appropriate to scale. Um, because, you know, there's no doubt whatsoever we can do more now than we could 16 years ago. Um, so one thing's the ambition and one thing's the scale. And, and, and we have tried over time to do more. And I think maybe in the last, in the last few years, we've sort of embraced a little bit more the idea that, actually, I think some, some restaurants, in, in particular restaurants and hospitality in this country, in UK, uh, do look at Hawksmoor and think, you know, I like what they're doing and they, they inspire me to do something else. And I, I actually feel, as I say it out loud, it feels a bit awkward saying that, despite, by the way, knowing it to be true. But, I th you know, I think we, we, we take that quite seriously now. Um, when we started, I think there was a sense that if you were, if you had a small business with integrity, that as you grew, you would have to start making compromises, whether that was around the standards or the purpose or, or whatever it was, your integrity, your integrity would sort of diminish as you grew. And, and by the way, there is, there is clearly some truth in that, you know, lots, there are restaurant groups that have followed that path and know it's a fear for a lot of, uh, for a lot of smaller independent restaurateurs amongst whom kind of I count a lot of my friends in that part of the industry. And I hope that Hawksmoor is a really good example of not having to do that, that actually as you get bigger, you can sort of double down on those things. I think Hawksmoor is a better restaurant now than it was 10 years ago. I'm absolutely sure that we do, we do more with purpose now than we did 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, you know, I hope that these fantastic, small, independent businesses with integrity kind of look at Hawksmoor and think, actually, we, we could do it. And I also hope maybe that some of the bigger businesses look at Hawksmoor and think, yeah, we, if, if, they, if, if, they, if they can do it, then we ought to be able to as well. So I, 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 hope, I hope Hawksmoor feels like a, a business that, that embodies that spirit of kind of integrity and scale at the same time. You know, is it easy? It, it sounds a bit like when you're saying it also, it takes a lot of effort to make, you know, giving more than you take happen as well. Because, of course, you said at the beginning, you need to get the business working. But does it really, it takes effort, I guess, as well, doing that. It's not just saying you want to do it. There's also a lot of doing that comes. I mean, 100%. I mean, you you know, you, you've got to want to do it. And you've got to do it. Uh, and... It's of course it's hard. I mean, there isn't much I don't think in in business in running a business that is not hard. It's difficult. It's a difficult thing. If it wasn't, more people would do it. Um, uh, but you know, and I, I think by the way, everyone, anyone listening to this, and you certainly and I could could think of businesses where you know some of the people inside the business who do the work are desperate to do this kind of stuff and maybe don't have buy-in from the top. And equally, I think we've seen businesses where the person at the top is really keen on getting it done, but they just can't seem to get the work done as well, which, which it requires. So it is, yeah, it's hard. And as you grow, the challenges just change a bit, don't they? They, they and I, I think probably a good part of the reason that Hawksmoor is, is good at it, I hope, is that 
there are people who work in Hawksmoor who are exceptionally good at it. Um, so in a way, it sort of feels easier for me because there are these there are these fantastic people who've joined us along the way, who who are exceptional and who believe in kind of the integrity of Hawksmoor and doing it at scale, and, and they make it happen. That leads me to actually dive a bit down into. Um, there's no doubt about people feel it's a unique place to come to, and you you touched a bit in the beginning as well that we've created this unique combination of different places where you get different get a very different experience than what you expected in a, in, in a good way. But what is it that, that makes you so unique? Uh, do you have like an idea about what your your algorithm are as you're opening restaurants or you're taking it one by one or what is it that makes you so unique? The answer that I'd give you has changed over the years. So, you know, there was definitely a stage where we took it one restaurant at a time and um, we were very, very close to the heart of it all in terms of, you know, the day-to-day running of, of any individual restaurant. Uh, and we, you know, Hugh and me, but but also, you know, a small group of people uh, we, we'd worked with for many years, just had, a, just had a really great instinct for the answer to your question and kind of what made it special, maybe without ever really being able to kind of articulate it properly. And I think we've got better at that over time. Um and you know as we've as we've started talking about kind of the values that underpin Hawksmoor or we've started looking at the brand and talking more kind of rationally to to the people who who love Hawksmoor from a customer point of view about what it is that they love we have started kind of pinpointing okay it's about this and i i think in the end we 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 spend a lot of time talking about the words specialness about the word specialness you know trying to create something special because i think that's that's the experience of a lot of our customers coming to hawksmoor is feels special in a in in a really really lovely way you know not that kind of oof we're going to a fancy dinner and we'll all you know kind of dress up and it'll be a bit whatever it'll be expensive so we'll know it's special not that necessarily but just a, a special occasion and special and, and feeling special when you're there and for the people inside hawksmoor who work there I think the sense of trying to create something special that you can look at, you know, even after you've left and feel like, yeah, I was part of that and I'm really proud of it, uh, has been has been a big part as well. When it comes to, um, you talk a lot about the, the, the people that work in the business and, and your customer, and there's no doubt about, uh, I noticed over the pandemic, you're very active in communicating with your customers, what you did, what your perspective what your approach was, what your thinking was about what was going on. And I, I could, I definitely got a feel it was you were like a very community-led business as well because you worked with the customer at the same time with the feedback they gave you about the whole situation. The pandemic was a complicated thing. But many businesses actually did the opposite, in my view, not only in hospitality, actually they shut down to the outside world and dealt from the inside out instead of from the outside in when it comes to listening to the customer base and, and building a community around it. Is that like really, uh, is that by, you know, instinct you have always been very focusing on communicating with customers and the community, or is that a choice because you could see that's a benefit for the business? I mean, there's, there's definitely some instinct in it. I think when you go into times of crisis or stress, you tend to kind of reach for your natural strengths, don't you? That's a, that's a fairly well understood kind of response. And, Probably my, my the thing that I most naturally reach for is communication, 
um, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy trying to kind of get people on the same page. And I, I like, I just like people. I like talking to them. And so I, I, I think I probably just reach for that because of slightly that's, that's what I think I do well. Um, but there was, there was, there was a, a logic behind it, I suppose, which was internally where we were communicating. I mean, we, if, if we communicated a reasonable amount externally, we create communicated a lot internally. Um, it's a high stress moment, isn't it? I mean, I, I think a pretty good definition of leadership is optimism. And, you know, when I think optimism is the opposite of worrying. And I think in, a, in those really high stress moments, March 2020 being a really good example of that. I mean, there's, there's, there's just a sea of worry and anxiety about the future. And I think it was important for us to give to show people some kind of optimism. And I'm not saying that we were kind of saying this is all going to be okay. We weren't actually, if you think about the early stage, we were communicating, this is a problem. But what we committed to was, you know, as we go through this, we're going to do everything we can, which doesn't necessarily mean it's enough, but everything we can to help people. We're going to communicate with you openly. We're going to let you know what we're thinking. So you've never got that feeling from us that like what's happening behind that closed door. And should I worry about it? You'll, you'll never need to feel that. And then I think we felt probably our customers, many of whom I think feel a connection to Hawksmoor and to the people who work here, actually. Uh, we get more feedback about the people who work here than we do about steak. Um, so they, I think we felt they deserved our communication and deserved honesty and openness and wanted to know what was happening to the people they care about who work here. And then finally, you know, my, my phone was ringing a lot from friends of mine who run smaller businesses with a version of the question, I don't know what to do. What, what are you doing? And I think we felt that it was important for us to kind of be on the front foot a little bit with, let's just be really transparent about the decisions that we're making. Um, and I have subsequently, actually, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, we, we, we didn't really know what to do. And so we sort of tried to follow Hawksmoor's lead on it sometimes. And I, again, I'm sorry if that sounds self-aggrandizing. I don't mean it to, but um, I, 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 I know that some people felt that, that, oh, okay, there's a bigger business doing it. We'll, we'll just try and do that as well. So I, yeah, I, I wanted us to be open. And, and you had some you know incredible feedback for that. I noticed that and, and, and how the customers connected with, they just wanted to know when can we buy some some food again? In principle, lots of them were really, you know, wanted to connect with you, do the food, and the direction was there straight away. Because I guess, as you said, there is a human connection into the business. Their their local waiter or general manager or, or chef or whatever they build a connection with when they come and visit your your restaurants, and uh, and that's already done prior to a crisis. Um, Going in a little bit like inside your business, talk a lot about the people that work there. What is uh, what is the leadership philosophy behind Hawksmoor? Because you won some uh, some incredible awards as well, and you've been part of the great place to work for uh, almost a decade now. Uh, and every year you are you're, you're doing quite well there. Yeah, uh, yes, we are. Yeah, we've 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 spent a decade in in the best companies to work for in the UK. Um, and, and we've had various other bits of recognition as, as an employer in hospitality. And 
you know what? I, I think there's a difference between between leadership and management. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm conscious that lots of people are both, uh, but and 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 you know, when I talked about earlier about leadership being optimism, I think there's a lot of that in Hawksmoor. But I mean, I think you can be you can be a waiter and be a leader. I mean, I could I can I could rattle off the names of people who've been here for a long time who haven't sought that career path of kind of promotions, but they're leaders. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. People look up to them. They look to them for uh, for direction and guidance. And, and I, I really love to see that in Hawksmoor. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about management of just how do you get the best out of other people? And I mean, our answers are by no means revolutionary at all. There's nothing, I don't think, that we do that is kind of, you know, a clever, a clever uh, new idea of management. We just try to do the basics really, really well. We try and support people. We try and treat them as adults. We treat them as individuals. Um, and we give people who manage here a lot of training because the hospitality industry is young, isn't it? The, the, the workforce of the hospitality industry is, long, is young. Um, and I think we owe it to young managers and the people they manage to give them the tools to look after people. Because, you know, you could be 26, 27 years old and have 30 people working for you. What are the chances that you're equipped to do that at 26, 27? It's, it's low, isn't it? Uh, so we, we think about that uh, a lot and we, and we try and put a lot into management, maybe more than we put into leadership. Is there any like specific things you're doing? You think that that works really well for you because you talk about you talk about life skills there. Because even if they didn't stay in the restaurant sector, learning these things, you know how to get the best out of people, is a skill you can use in any aspect of life. Well, I mean, funnily enough, actually, that's a good that's a good example of one of the things that we try to do that I think works really well for us, which is when we do training and we we do a lot. Certainly pre COVID, we did a lot, and we're trying to get back to doing a lot. And, conscious during COVID, it was a little bit on simmer, if you like. But when we train people, we, we think about that point specifically, which is let's make sure we're giving people skills and not just techniques. You know, not just this is how you d deal with an X situation or this is knowledge that you need. But yeah, these are skills that you can take away from Hawksmoor and do other things. And I've always liked the idea in Hawksmoor that... Um, that we would be a place eventually with a really amazing alumni. There are a small number of businesses in hospitality. The old Caprice Group was one of them. Pizza Express uh, has been one of them. Uh, you mentioned Danny Meyer, Union Square Cafe has absolutely been one of them, where you meet a lot of people who came from that business once and they've gone on to do amazing things inside or outside this industry. And I, I really like the idea that Hawksmoor is that and that training people with skills, life skills, not just um, job-specific skills is important. That's super interesting because I totally agree with you. You know, spending uh, more than a decade with McDonald's it was not because it was McDonald's. It was because it gave me skill and I could see that I was getting transferable skills and it didn't matter when I left, I would be ready for something better or I could go out and do things I would never have thought about. And you're spot on. And I think that's that's a really, really good message in, in this situation, you know, where we are really, you know, struggling as an industry with getting people to come back and work in the industry. How have that situation actually impacted your situation as well of, you know, 
being able to come back? Have you seen the same challenges as many others with the, with the staffing crisis? Yeah, of course. It's not, a, it's not an, a situation that anyone, I think, is immune from. Uh, since we reopened in May, we've hired hundreds of people. Um, and it's been difficult. You know, and we've we've taken the view that we would only o ever open the restaurants on services and with a, with the number of customers that we can do really really well. And I think I'm probably right in saying that most of our restaurants are still slightly hamstrung by uh, by staffing numbers or 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 skill levels, because as well as a labour shortage, there's been a skill shortage, hasn't there? Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, we're working through that really, really well, but we haven't been immune to it at all. And it, it's just, it's been a huge priority for us. It's just trying to get in great people and then training them to, to deliver Hawksmoor standards in a Hawksmoor way. What about uh, you opened in New York, in the, you know, in, in, the, in the midst or in the end of the pandemic? Um, and that that was part of your, one of your growth plan. It would be interesting to hear why you made that decision going to New York, uh, and also what is your view on growth in general? Because sixteen years, ten restaurants. It's not like you've gone crazy, but you it feels like it's very considered growth, in my view. Well, thank you. I hope I hope so. I hope it feels considered because we we certainly have considered it very hard. <clears throat> um, I've got two answers for New York. I've kind of got the 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 business answer that you would tell investors, and I've also got the you know personal answer from my heart. And you know, the first one of those, which of course is also true, is that uh, it's it's a conscious business decision that you know we're not gonna we're not gonna open restaurants on and on and on forever. This is a business, by the way, that you know neither Hugh or I, or I think many of the senior people, have got any intention of kind of leaving anytime soon. But we're not gonna just bang, 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 more restaurants in, for example, London. We've got seven already. Um, and and we've, we, we wanted to try and do something that sort of opened up a bit more space for us to, uh, to open the kind of restaurants that we think will, will, will resonate with people. And, and New York was kind of the first, the first step of that. The, the more personal decision, which also has a lot of truth in it, is I mean, we've been to New York a lot. We, we started going there about 20, 2009, 2010, before we opened our second restaurant, Seven Dials. And, you know, we've been to all the steak restaurants and, and bearing in mind, it's me and my best friend, you know, who, who, who started all this, we'd have that conversation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we, we had a restaurant here? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That sort of conversation. It sort of feels a bit like, you know, opening a restaurant in New York would be like scoring a goal in the cup final or something, you know, what, you would, what you'd like to do as a kid. And, um, so th there's something in there and, and New York almost, well, New York didn't happen, almost didn't happen many, many times. I mean, including, by the way, the pandemic we were supposed to open in March 2020. But it, it, at one of those times, I can't remember whether it was that one or a different one. I remember saying to Hugh, you know, we'd just been through a long meeting of kind of, you know, weighing up pros and cons and spreadsheets and analytics and whatever. And I said to Hugh, if we don't do it, will you always wonder why? Or, or always wonder how, what would have happened? And if we do do it and fail, will you regret that we've tried? He said, no. 
I wouldn't regret that we tried. I'd always wonder if we didn't do it, I'd always wonder what would have happened. And in a way, that kind of was at least as important as the two hour long analytics meeting because just that's how we felt about it. It, it. it was just, it was a particularly meaningful opening to us um, and getting it open finally and having received some really good reviews. And uh, I read last week that it's, it's considered New York's hottest steakhouse. Just in a way, it feels cathartic to us. A, just that kind of a life's ambition fulfilled and it's, it's nice. Congratulations on that. And, and, and it's a tough city with the, the reviews. They are, I know in New York, more than more than any place in the world, your, your reviews really set the tone for the success of a restaurant. So, so congratulations on that. Um, um, what about like growth in general? Because I said it feels like considerable. How do you actually, do you have like a philosophy for how you want to grow the business? Really interesting. You said we're, we're not leaving anytime soon. That's not the plan. Well, in the early days, it was quite easy, really. The thought was if if we had restaurants that bought in the, one restaurant initially that was oversubscribed, had more people wanted to eat there than we could fit in. And if we had really good people who were ready for you know a career or to, to move on and develop, then let's open another restaurant and see what happens. That was that was kind of the initial view. And obviously now we're we're a bigger company and we have a strategy and, and, and thoughts. But I, I think in a way it's it it still kind of goes back to some basic fundamentals, which is the questions what can you what kind of growth can you achieve where you not only don't dilute on standards, the quality of people, uh, the the kind of specialness around Hawksmoor, but actually you enhance it? Because, you know, last year we opened New York and Woodwolf, which is our biggest ever restaurant, um, which has four, but will have 400 covers by the time we've, we've finished with the terrace and stuff. And I think we've got better as a result. I think Hawksmoor's got better, more exciting. I mean, interesting to me, by the way, National Review came out for Hawksmoor today. Uh, there's another one in the in the in the off, and that hasn't happened to Hawksmoor for a while. We've enhanced Hawksmoor by growing. And I don't know what the answer is all the time, by the way, to to that question. How what can we do without making those compromises? In fact, what can we do and enhance the business? But I think that's the kind of that's the nutshell of the conversation that we're having back and forth is how do we, how does it get better if it gets bigger and um, and I, I i hope so far that that's happened and that's super interesting because you're saying that like growth is something it's a positive thing but it has to make you better not dilute yourself as an organization 100 percent when you, you when you grow a business because there's been a lot of you know the pandemic brought the whole digitalization in into the, the hospitality sector. And lots of people says now there's like one of the key driver for a successful hospitality businesses, uh, people and tech. So what, what role does, so people definitely play a very big role in your success of your business. But what about tech? Is that because, you know, you're creating this very human experience in your, your restaurant? Is, is tech a key strategy for you as well to look at? I mean, the answer in its way has to be yes, I suppose, although for me, instinctively, as I said, I'm kind of a people person, so I'd love it if the answer was no, but I'm conscious that there's something kind of slightly stubborn about the restaurateur who says no to tech, everything must happen on paper. 
or whatever with people because that's not that's not the reality is it? and it hasn't been the reality for a very long time um as you as we develop as people become more used to using tech themselves and as kind of efficiency gets more difficult in the restaurants tech has to be part of the answer to all of that the the thing that really struck me in the during the pandemic about restaurants and tech was if you if you think about the way you tend to use your own personal device it places you at the center of the world doesn't it if you want a book or uh um, some food or whatever a present for someone where when do you want it you want it now immediately and you want it wherever you are you know you are at the center of everything and that is very different to how restaurants operate isn't it restaurants place themselves at the center of everything what do you want when can you have it well you can come at a time of our choosing more or less because we can't do your eight o'clock friday night slot but you can have saturday at six or something or you want to go to seven dials but that's busy so you can have to go to somewhere else but you have to come to us and when the restaurant industry shut down i think a lot of brands started to work out if they could kind of do something meaningful in the space where customers are at the center of everything physically um and i i think there's probably quite a lot of future there although at the moment it's in flux isn't it people have loved coming back to restaurants that's been really really amazing to see and and, and, you know we certainly feel that in the short term our kind of our growth is not driven by tech it's driven by it's driven by restaurants um but there's something there there's a change there that i think is is irreversible that people are going to be the center of everything and not not restaurants and that's that's a super interesting way you're looking at and actually what you can learn from from technology and what the power of it is and that's you know that's amazon model that they they bring everything to you with with one swipe and and so it is so easy as well and that's the other thing you know you, you see it in restaurants, you know, as a customer, you see it, you'll see it as an operator. How difficult can we, can we make restaurants sometimes? You know, you've got a book, but before you book, you've got to like log into the system. And then when you do, then you've got to edit your credit cards. Like, oh my God, no one cares anymore. Just swip, swipe, click, done, finished. That's, that's how things need to work. And it's, it's difficult, I think, for restaurateurs to get themselves into that mindset sometimes, including me. Yeah, and I guess also if you look at other industries, the ease of doing business, retail has probably led that for years, you know, and that's the one-click thing. It's the ease of doing business with people. And so you actually can just be in that moment. So you don't have to sit with the the payment that, that didn't work or the order that didn't work. And I think the magic is because, what, what you know, if that's the area that we haven't been great at traditionally, super, super easy, putting customers at the center of the world, what we have been exceptional at is experience and how you make people feel. And it, it's it's how you marry those two things over time, isn't it? How you how you try to give people the best of both worlds, whether that's in a restaurant or, or, or not. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I could point you towards the perfect practitioners of that at the moment, but um, it's definitely, I think, on people's minds of how you how you marry those things. Taking a bit of a status now, we, you know, we talked a bit about the journey, what you've been through in the pandemic, your new openings. So what what is like your biggest priority as a business now, right now? Oh, I mean, it, it's people. 
I mean, I know I'm conscious that there are priorities that never stop being priorities, like standards and people. And then there are things that come round and 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 hopefully will go again or, or, or slip off the, the top priority list, dealing with a pandemic, for example, or whatever. Um, but people is both of those things at the moment. You know, it's all it's a it's a constant, always on priority for Hawksmoor. How do we do the best job we can for people? But right now, you know, the question of how do we make sure that all of our restaurants are staffed with excellent people who know what they're doing and are happy in their job. Um, and I, I think that's a particular priority at the moment. So it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And uh, what are your main barriers to, to, to achieve that and get your restaurants full of people that just love and support you? Good question. I think probably the answer is, although although it ought to be labour market because labour market is, is difficult, as you know, it's if you think culturally, before the number of people who now in 2022 worked at Hawksmoor in 2019, the last proper pre-COVID period, it's about 40%. So 60% of people, more or less, have never had any experience of working in this company outside a pandemic. Um, so they don't instinctively know what it's like. They don't know how good it can be either, by the way, because I've, you know, I'm the first to say we haven't been, I think, by the way, we've been very good considering the pandemic, but we haven't been as good as if we would have been if there hadn't been one. And they don't know what the best of Hawksmoor is. They don't know what it looks like when Hawksmoor is absolutely heaving at Christmas. They don't know what the opportunities can be like here, the sense of camaraderie, etc. That so our job really on our biggest kind of hurdle to getting to the thing I've described, which is you know, all the restaurants full of people who are happy and, and, and giving their best, is creating an environment for them where they feel where they where they can thrive and getting them aligned with Hawksmoor and how we do things. And and that there's no quick fix for that, it just takes some time. Because usually, any given period, the answer to how many people have been here for more than a year or so is, you know, it's way more than 50% of people. Um, so you've usually, it's the majority of people who understand Hawksmoor and how we do things and a, and a minority who don't. And at the moment, it's the other way around. So what in principle you're saying is also getting the culture back to, well, you could never get things back to what it was, but a new version of that, a new you know, culture, winning culture that works for you because you need you need all these people have never really, you know, you haven't been able to have them together in the same way you did pre-pandemic before now. Yeah, absolutely right. And by the way, that's, it's, I mean, it's another interesting point in your question, which is, you know, you even a good culture, you can't keep it the same. You know, you've got to keep learning. I mean, I'm 44, whatever. Let's just say the average age in our company is 26. 26-year-olds are not like they were when I was 34. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to be the same when I'm 54. Although I hope I will still be here. Uh, you, you know, you've got to you've got to kind of keep up and, and and make changes. And there is no point kind of wishing it were otherwise. Which, by the way, I don't. But um, you know, I, I do hear people kind of saying, "I oh, just, it's just." Do you remember back in the day when people were a bit more uh, or a bit less? Uh, what's the point? That people are just who they are, and you've just got to create the environment for those people to do to do an exceptional job. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. One, uh, I read a book uh, once about the Chicago Bulls and Phil Jackson's, you know, tenure with them, where they won six rings, a six championship. And he talks a lot about every season we build a new team culture. And I thought, why would you do that if you were winning? Because you just take one player out, then the culture is different, and we need to build a new environment. So of course there's some, some some fundamental things to keep the same, but you need to adjust that because it's a new person with a new hi- history, with a new agenda, and you need to get all those things working together. And there needs to be that mutual respect for that. You don't know this, but you've you've inadvertently sent me on a kind of a learning path in the last month or so because when I first spoke to you, and I I asked you which which of your podcasts you thought I should I would most enjoy. One of the ones you sent me on was Chip Connolly, who I like very much. I read his book Peak long time ago but it made me read his new book uh which is about kind of modern elders and and being in your mid in your midlife and 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 looking after people and uh, i found it really interesting and inspiring for me actually at at my my life stage because i haven't because i it was helpful to realize i didn't need to find it depressing feeling quite middle-aged but actually he asks a question in the book i mean he asks it of course in a very american way which I, i would struggle doing in normal conversation but his question, he says to people, is what can I do to support you to do the best work of your life here? And while I can't ever imagine using those exact words to people, but I mean, that's a, that's a great question, isn't it? And it, inside that question is that thought of the, the answer is going to change. It's going to change over time. It's going to change person to person. And I think really that's the question that Hawksmoor tries to ask the people that work here. What can we do to support you to just do exceptional work here and feel happy? Um, and I, I, I think we probably need to learn a little bit from the 60% people who are, who are new about how that answer can change. Yeah, and it's very interesting. That exact question he took into Airbnb, and that was how they built their performance culture in Airbnb. And it seemed like it worked because they built quite a successful business that people wanted to join and, and stay with. Um, and that was, of course, pre-pandemic and all that put into equation. But he was there for six, seven years before he ventured out and, and did his own business again. Yeah, but incredible. I would say that book is an incredible book. I advise everyone to read it, no matter what age you're in, because there's some really good reflection about a man that spent you know, most of his life building very successful businesses and really thinking about the human factor of building business. What is your thought about the, the future? Well, in hospitality, the crystal ball moment, if you could like say, you know, we come out of the, the or we, we, we come to a phase in the pandemic where we're not really impacted on a day-to-day basis by it, but they're still there probably in some kind of way. But what's going to happen the next 18 months? It's an, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to rely on someone else's wisdom actually for it because uh, friend of mine, American friend of mine called Michael Markowitz, uh, uses a phrase called table stakes. And when he talks about things that you do, that you think you do well, sometimes he praises them and sometimes he says, ah, yeah, but that's just table stakes. What he means is, I don't know if you've ever played poker, but broadly when you play poker and you have to put in a small amount of money to play, the table stakes, the amount of money you have to pay to play, goes up all the time i.e. you can't just sit on your hands and stay in the game. 
You've either got to win or eventually you will lose. That's that's the point of rising table stakes. So, for example, we went carbon neutral in November. Does Michael think, well, oh, that's fantastic. What a wonderful, unique thing for your company. He just thinks, no, you're just ahead of the game on table stakes. It's table stakes. Eventually, everyone's going to have to do that. If you don't do it, you're out. Forget it. You're no good. And in a way, I think that the that table stakes is indicative for, for the future of hospitality because I, I think it's getting more difficult. The things that you have to be or do to really thrive are is getting, you know, the standards are getting higher. I, I think that the days where you could do something that is okay, it's kind of good enough and you try and scale it out are probably gone. That's not entirely true, but... Um, I think you need to be really good at some things and you need to have you need to make sure that you know what the table stakes are that you're playing because i think we're going to have to we're going to we're going to probably see fewer hospitality businesses in the in the near future it's just difficult for some people some people are thriving at the moment some are just sort of surviving and hanging on and some are really struggling uh, and i think the table stakes are going up and up and up and the good news for that is that if you do it at a time of kind of financial difficulty or if if the entrant if coming into market opening your first restaurant starts to get cheaper i think you'll start seeing some really exciting good interesting progressive new businesses come out of that um and i think for everybody else there's a general realization that they're going to have to up their game not necessarily to win just because it's table stakes um you have to get better to stay to sort of keep your head above water now. And I guess that's evolution, as it is in many different things. I'll use the Anna League and the NBA basketball. If you see how they play today, then when they played with Michael Jordan played, Michael Jordan probably wouldn't be that icon playing in the same way. You know, he definitely had to up his game to play in the speed they do today. Football is another one. Champions League looks very different than it did in the 90s. Um so what about um, on this journey? There must be some people that really inspired you and Hugh to, to do this. And, you know, you talked a bit about before as well, like, you know, you had a couple of failures and I guess failure is part of the entrepreneurial journey. But like with any people you looked at and said, we, we either we want to become like them or that business is an aspiration for us or. I mean, so many over the years, I, th I find myself getting inspired uh, almost like kind of, you know, sort of intense love affairs. You know, I, I just, I get obsessed with a certain business. I mean, everyone's, everyone seems to have been through a Danny Meyer phase. I've been through a Danny Meyer phase. Actually, you mentioned McDonald's. I've been through a McDonald's phase. Um, been through a Corbin and King phase, you know, Jeremy King and, 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 and Chris Corbin and some of the stuff that they do. Uh, I know Hugh and I both kind of draw a lot of inspiration from, from smaller businesses. Um, but at the moment, I my my kind of current obsession, if that's the right word, probably isn't, uh, is Jose Andres, um, who is he's a Spanish guy, and he runs he runs a series of restaurants in D, around DC, uh, but in response to to the the earthquake, I think it was a hurricane, the natural disaster. In, in Haiti 10 years ago, we did World Central Kitchen. And I mean, that's an absolutely incredible 
incredible thing. You know, I, 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 I feel proud of the hospitality industry because World, World Central Kitchen exists, you know, and the speed, for example, with which they turned up on the, uh, on the borders of Ukraine and, and, and cooked for refugees. I, I think, yeah, Jose Andres at the moment is, is kind of my poster boy for inspiration. I love that because he is, uh, he's often not mentioned a lot in Europe, but he's very well known in, in the, the US for his work and what he's, he does. So, so, so incredible, credible guy that I must get on there. He is on the short list of coming here on the show as well. Like, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you do, Will, to, uh, you know, founder, CEO of a fast moving business? How do you show up pro every day? It's been tough time and you know how do you find the energy and being in the right, right state of mind and and the balance and and all that stuff you need to be in to make better decisions well i mean I, for starters I, i don't show up pro every day sometimes i show up messy and a bit useless um i i think i've got a pretty good idea of what you know in normal times what the things i need to do are that keep me in the best space I can be for example you know I, I try to exercise I try not to drink too much sometimes with, without much success uh, I read a lot and I, I've definitely learned about myself that I need I need time kind of in my own head um, and read I uh, in difficult times I, I kind of took that up a notch to, to meditating as well um, And I need to I need to have some fun. I mean, I, I whatever, mess around with my kids or see some friends or just be my own unvarnished kind of self, not not kind of a person who people need to rely on sometimes, which you are if you're in charge of a company or you're a father or mother. Uh, I just need to be an idiot sometimes. Um, and I, I, I like those moments very much. But um, I... I The, the times when I know I'm not pro, you say, is that your description? Turning up pro. Um, yeah, or the best version of yourself, we can call yeah. it as well. It, 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 I, I notice that my resilience and optimism go down. Um, that's my kind of, that's my sort of red, red light, if you like, uh, flashing red light. That if I, if I start talking in a way that is pessimistic, it feels really unnatural to me. And I know, okay, I need to intervene here. If I feel like, why am I letting that get to me when usually things that are 10 times worse than that don't bother me at all? That's a, another good sign of like, oh, I, I need to intervene with myself here. Um, and I, I've got really good people in my life to talk to. I mean, my, my wife's amazing um, and extremely understanding. But also my, my, my HR director, Kerry, And one of uh, one of my friends, Luke, who comes around and trains trains me on boxing pads, but really I think of it as kind of it's therapy, but with a little bit of physical exercise thrown in. I, I need that a lot as well. Just sometimes just need to talk. Um, so yeah, the, a variety of things. But I think, by the way, it's such an important question. I've learned knowing knowing yourself well enough to know kind of what you need to, to, to be your best. And I, I don't think I really thought about it until maybe the last five years. Yeah, and I guess also that you know where the red flag is. I think knowing for myself and other leaders, like knowing when I need to step back and don't show up. Now I really need to just to get 
balanced or calibrated is like a key thing because it's not enough know how you show up, but also when you not have to show up. That was one of my learnings through my career, definitely, because I almost you could almost be like this, you know, you know, almost domino effect of negativity that runs through the organization if you show up that day <laughs> because it's better to stay away. What advice would you give other leaders out there right now that's also looking, as you said yourself, they're looking at what you are doing. They also want to accelerate their businesses. They, they want to grab the opportunity there is right now because it looks like you're looking at there is opportunity in all this chaos. I think probably, the, I'm sure that the answer to that changes over time as well in terms of you know what, what, the, what the advice is. So I can only really give you the one that's on my mind most at the moment, which is, I think a lot of us, if you, if you run a business or whatever, you, you're, you're, you're good instinctively at thinking, what are the barriers to me doing better here? The external barriers, you know, the things, the things I must overcome in order to succeed. And I think I've learned more recently that it's, it's probably at least as good a question, if not better. What, what are they in my own head? What, what are the things about me and the way that I've been brought up and the way that I think that are stopping me being more successful or, or, or achieving my goals or, or, or whatever it is without kind of wanting to tip into sort of psychobabble. Um, but that, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely learned that. And, and you know, I, I do some business coaching and, and have had that pointed out to me. Of actually, as much as anything, you're probably in your own way here. And I think probably realizing that and trying to get through it was at least as helpful to me as all sorts of actual uh, obstacles that we've overcome over the years. That's super interesting advice uh, for you guys out there. That's a good question to um, to write down and uh, come back to tonight and tomorrow because we often are in a way for our own success, even though we can't see it. But we just have to keep on asking that question. Coaching and mentoring. Coaching and mentoring, by the way, are the, I think are the ways of getting that, working out what the answer to that question is. Although there's a... There's a there's a Peloton instructor. I do Peloton. Pick that up over the thing. Who just at, when it gets the most difficult point in the ride, just screams at the screen. Get out of your own head. Get out of your own head. And when she does it, I'm like, oh my god, she's right. I am at the moment in my own head, telling myself to stop. And it, it's helpful. Just get out of your own head and just do it. <laughs> Where can um, people find you if they want to know more about you know? Hawks more about yourself. Where's the the best place to go? I think probably the Hawksmore website's the answer. We've got a blog on there that um, that we 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 update sporadically with things that we're doing as a business. I, I try to do same things sometimes on LinkedIn. I'm sure you can find me on LinkedIn. But I mean, if you were to find me on Instagram, for example, uh, you'd just see me posting ridiculous jokes or moments in my life, and it would have nothing to do with business whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I think probably I, I'm also, by the way, on on the Hawksmore London Twitter account. I would say anything that is not obviously like sensible marketing is me talking rubbish. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm there as well. Great, great. We'll put some of those links in in the show notes for for people to find you out there. Will, thank you so much for uh, showing up and sharing your very honest story and your learnings and your your advice to to other people out there. Uh, we sent you, you know power and energy to you and the team for the journey ahead very exciting thanks thanks michael appreciate it will this was an 
absolutely awesome conversation. So much inspiration on how to build a great business that gives more than it takes. I would recommend you now to ask yourself, how can I create a business that I want to be the leader of after 16 years? To get further inspiration on how to lead with purpose, please check out episode number 122 with Tom Barton, the co-founder of Honest Burger on leading by example. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it, rate, review or subscribe to one of our channels, which now can be done on our new website. you find it still on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who's the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter for more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingsam, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show, Be Maverick. Be Maverick.